Um, this weekend, I want to bring a message called The Towel of Babel and the Upper Room. And I like firstly to um, draw our attention to the fact that one of the main lines of coherence between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that the major prophetic moments in the Old Testament always has a counterpart, a parallel event in the New Testament. You know, for starters, there's a principle in the Word of God that any matter is that settled when you have two or three witnesses that bear witness of the same thing. And so the principle in the Word of God is the same, that when a matter is mentioned twice in Scriptures, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the matter is settled before the eyes of God. But more than, the, more than this pairing of events being a confirmation of one another, what God intended is that the events in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the parallels, would give added dimension and width to our understanding of what God is seeking to speak to us about. So they are not mere repetitions, but they give us a greater depth of understanding about what the Lord wants to drive at. So for example, the floods in, in the Old Testament, um, in the times of Noah, did you know that the parallel in the New Testament is water baptism? Right? And the Apostle Peter tells us that this is a parallel in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Now, in the Old Testament, when Abraham offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice, it was a parallel and a counterpart to the offering of Christ on the cross. This is the Heavenly Father giving His own Son, Jesus Christ. In the same way, Psalms 118 is a parallel of, uh, the, of, the, of the triumphant entry in the final week of the Lord's life as He entered into Jerusalem. Just to give us a sense of how much details is found in these parallels, I just want to draw attention to the sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. And just maybe give us a little bit of a sample of how much these parallels uh, there are, okay? So for one thing, in the Old Testament, when Isaac was offered, Isaac was the only son of um, Abraham and Sarah, amen? These were the two, the fathers and the mothers uh, of the nation of Israel, and together they only produced one child, and that is uh, Isaac. In the same way, Jesus is the only begotten son of the father. Isaac came through a miraculous birth. Both Abraham and Sarah were beyond childbearing age, and it was impossible for a child to be born. And uh, if I could say this, Isaac was born out of an impossible situation. The same Jesus came through an impossible situation, a virgin birth, amen? And there's no way that in the natural that this could have happened. In the same way, Isaac was around his 30s when he was offered as a sacrifice uh, in Mount Moriah. In the same way, Jesus was uh, 33 and a half when he was offered up at the cross. As they ascended Mount Moriah, Isaac bore the wood that was meant for the sacrifice. Jesus bore the wood as well, the cross, as he ascended Calvary's hill. Isaac himself was the sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice. Isaac was insufficient as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, but Jesus is more than sufficient as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. You know, once this, um, you know, Genesis 22 finishes, in Genesis 23 onwards, the focal point turns towards the preparation of a bride for Isaac. In the same way, once Jesus, you know, uh, is resurrected, the focal point is the birth of his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? So, nonetheless, this is not my subject matter, okay? What I want to look at, the two events I want to look at, is the Tower of Babel and the Upper Room. One is found in Genesis chapter 11, the other is found in Acts chapter 2. Now, when you think about these two events on the surface, honestly, it is very unusual for us to associate these two events together. 
When we think about the Tower of Babel, we think about Babylon, we think about uh, confusion, we see it as a type of, you know, uh, a very negative event that God had to come down and bring judgment upon. And then when you consider the upper room, honestly, the upper room is seen in a completely different light. We see the upper room as the exact opposite. It was a pivotal moment that gave birth to the church of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was poured out and it sparked a great move of God in the book of Acts. So why is it that we place this two events together side by side. But honestly, when you consider them, there is so many multiple parallels and similarities between these two events that we have to consider them as a counterpart to one another. So let me firstly give to us the similarities between these two events, and then I'm going to go in and talk to us about what this understanding uh, is meant to be for us, okay? So firstly, in the Tower of Babel, we're talking about Genesis 11, verse 1 to verse 9. The upper room is Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 4. In both instances, they had one description, and that was the fact that they had one language and one speech. In the upper room, the 120 were also homogeneously Jewish people. They spoke the same language. They were of the same racial stock. They were from the same similar geographical location and they were all of the same race, of course. Um, In the Tower of Babel, they built with bricks and mortars. And uh, in the upper room, it was also about a building, the building of the church, which is uh, with living stones. Amen. In the Tower of Babel, the purpose was to build a temple because in the ancient language of those days, Babel actually means a gateway to God. So they wanted to build a, a temple in which they can reach God. And in an upper room, it was God's purpose to build temples, the temples of the Holy Spirit. And He was going to send His temple to inhabit, uh, His Holy Spirit to inhabit the temples. Uh, in both instances, the people were initially motivated by, the, by fear and the fear of being scattered. In both cases, they came to a place of being unified and of one accord. And in both cases, God came down. In the upper room, it was the Holy Spirit that was poured out. Uh, The commentary was that in the Tower of Babel, nothing would be impossible to them. In the upper room, this company of people, 120, did what was impossible thereafter. Their language was confused in the Tower of Babel and mixed up. And in the New Testament, in the upper room, uh, God poured out His Spirit and they spoke in new tongues in many different languages. And the final result is the scattering that happened in the Tower of Babel in the same way through the upper room and through the process, the end product was a scattering of the church. So I want to consider these two events and I want to point out a couple of things to us that we can glean from. The first thing is the principle of homogeneity. Um, Before I plunge into this subject of homogeneity, I need to first emphasize that diversity is really, really important. Amen? When you consider creation and the Creator and all that He's created, you will discover that the nature of our Creator is that He loves diversity. Amen. Just look at the myriads of species of flora and fauna. Look at ourselves. Look amongst us. We are all so different. And God just loves diversity. Even within a family where kids are born to the same set of parents and every child is distinct and different. Every one of us, we have got a unique thumbprint, an iris print, a way in which we are constructed none of us is exactly the same. And the spiritual uh, application for us is that in diversity is that we all see in part and we prophesy in part. Amen? 
And that's why we can never, in a single person, see the full picture and it requires for us in our diverse backgrounds to come together and to look at a matter from different perspectives to see the uh, full picture of what God is wanting to speak to us. Did you know in Acts chapter 13, one of the critical moments in the New Testament where you know, the modern uh, missionary mo movement was born, that there was a, a standing, there was a sending body, an apostolic prophetic sending body, and that apostolic prophetic body was very, very diverse. They constituted different races, different social economic status, and they came from uh, different geographical locations. And that diverse apostolic prophetic body gave birth to the first missionary movement in the New Testament. Amen? But when diverse people come together, it is not enough for us to remain diverse. We need to take time to build homogeneity, particularly in our language. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, it begins by saying this, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And the word one speech essentially means they, had, they, they understood the same vocabulary. Now, if I can say this, one of the most difficult things to do in our communication with one another is to align our language. Amen? Because the same word, the same English word may mean completely different things to us depending on the background and our upbringing. For a person who grew up in a healthy environment, uh, um, you know, in, in, in their growing up years, when you mention the word father or mother or, or parents, it might evoke a sense of safety and security. But for a person who grew up in a broken, abusive family, the thought of a father might evoke a completely different perspective or view. You know, and this is the thing that in our relationships that we have, one of the most important things is to deconflict and to align our vocabulary. So many times in my marriage with Wendy in the earlier years, especially, I would say something and it would mean something else completely different to her, you know? And so misunderstandings came about through that. Now, this is, not, this is true not just about relationships, but in the church, this is especially true. Amen. Mentioned the phrase spirit-filled. I promise you, in a church in Cornerstone, compared to a Baptist church, that word spirit-filled will have a completely different meaning. Even fundamental words in the Christian doctrine like water baptism has completely different meanings when you mention it to the Anglicans and to the Methodists. Is that right? And so the homogeneity is important for us to deconflict our language. Now, when the disciples, 120, went up to the upper room, you got to be assured that there was no homogeneity. Amen? Their understanding of Christ, the kingdom of God, their positions and relationship to one another, everything was jumbled up. But the good news is that within 10 days in the upper room, locked up together, God changed all that so that by the day of Pentecost, 120 who started out all different became of one accord. Amen. And in order for them to arrive to this place of unity, they had to sort through their language and their communication. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9, this is reiterated for us where the prophets say, for them I will restore to the people a pure language. It's the same word, a pure vocabulary that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve Him in one accord. So here in Cornerstone, we need to come to a sense of homogeneity in our language. When we say revival, it must begin to mean the same thing for us. Amen? When we talk about what discipleship is, we got to have, you know, we got to come to a place where we understand what that means. It's, it's so important for us to align our vocabulary and clear our differences whenever we speak. 
Now, the second thing I want for us to take note is in the building material. You see, in the account of the building of the Tower of Babel, what, you know, what it did is it signaled for us a huge technological transition. When they built the Tower of Babel, it was a building that was unprecedented. They never built something as tall as this building was going to be. And one of the prime reasons is because there was a technological shift. They were moving away from building with stones to the point where they're building with bricks and mortar. Now, when you build with stones, it's a very difficult process, amen? Because every stone is different and you can't just fit every stone side by side. You've got to find the right stone to fit into the right part of the building. But the moment you have bricks and mortars, then everything becomes possible. Because bricks can be made uniform. Bricks can be fashioned to the exact shape and the exact size and you can build many of them, you know, um, uh, so that you, you can put all of them in the same place. But the thing is this, with the building that God wants to build, God doesn't use bricks. Amen? Look around you, there are no bricks sitting beside you, okay? God, the Bible tells us that God is looking to use living stones. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 5, it says this, coming to Him, which is Christ, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built into a spiritual building. You see, we're told that Christ is the living stone. And he makes us living stones. And God is in a building project of a spiritual building. And he uses only living stones. Now, there's a big problem with living stones. In fact, there are two problems. Number one, they're stones. And number two, they're living, okay? And I want to explain this to us, right? Because the thing about stones that I mentioned is that there is no uniformity. And if you look around us here in Cornerstone, we don't want, a, we don't want uniformity amongst us. I remember years ago, I was at a conference, big conference, and it was well attended by very various churches here in Singapore. I remember there was a big group that was sitting together and you could tell they were all from the same church, right? And then whenever the preacher preached something good, you know, they would respond and they all responded the same way. Ooh, awesome, you know? And you kind of knew like, okay, they're all from the same church because they all gave off the same vibes. You know, I pray here in Cornerstone, we'll never give off the same vibe. I pray we'll never be uniform. We can be diverse. But God wants us different. There was another time, I remember years ago, Pastor Tim and Pastor Sharon and my family were going off for on holiday. So, you know, the pastors came together at the airport to send us off, you know, and we took the opportunity to fellowship. And so we had dinner together. And then as we are walking to the departure gate, we met another group of pastors, a senior leadership of another church. And what a vast difference between them and us. Because they came and they were all you know, really, really nicely dressed, skinny jeans, their hair were all, their heads were all full of hair, nicely combed, and they all were V-shaped, all gym-built bodies. And then you look at Cornerstone pastors, we were round, we were all kinds of shape, we were in our permudas, flip-flops, and we were like so terribly dressed, you know. And I thought to myself, praise the Lord, we are like that in Cornerstone. We, discrim we don't discriminate against any shape or size, man. You come as you are. Amen. You see, one of the prophetic names, and God has given us several prophetic names here in Cornerstone, one of the prophetic names that God has given to us is that we are called Rehoboth, in which, which means that God has given us spaciousness. 
And we want to make room and we want to make space for whomever God chooses to send here to Cornerstone. And we pray that there'll always be that diversity amongst us so that the people that come from different backgrounds with different giftings and different expressions can find a space here to grow and to fulfill God's call upon their lives. Amen. We don't want to fit you into a mold. You see, you got to understand this discipleship here in Cornerstone is not about making you and I uniform. No. The only people uniform here is that the ushers, they wear a uniform, that's all. <laughs> but we want to preserve that uniqueness in every person. And the second problem with living stones is that they are living and living things struggle. Living things don't sit still. They have to move around. Amen. And, and, you know, and, and the thing is, imagine a building that is made with not just stones, but living stones. The guy who's sitting, you know, on the side of the building where he's just facing a wall, after two years, after six months even, they say, hey, I don't like my view. I want to go to the other side of the building. And people want to move. People want to shift. And that's okay. Hello? Here in Cornerstone, we don't tell you, hey, you join ushering ministry for the next 30 years. Until you die, you're going to be an usher. No, that's not what we tell you here. You see, the thing about you, the living stones is that living stones has the potential to grow. You know, when you come to the Lord, when you come to Christ, you might be a little small stone and you, you know, and you, and you might fit into a little place, but as you allow yourself to grow in the Lord, you're going to become a bigger and greater stone and you're going to become a foundational stone. And the stones have to be shifted. The stones have to be moved. Amen. And that's why you can't just make bricks and fit them there and make sure they're there for the rest of their lives. We need to make space for people to grow and to adjust into different seasons of their lives. And that's the challenge. The third thing I want to bring to us is the fact, uh, the question of what are we building? Now, this is the major difference between Babel and the upper room. And it is that the people who built Babel, they, what they really wanted to do is they wanted to ascend to God. You see, the word Babel in the Hebrew means confusion, but in the ancient Akkadian language, it means a gateway to God. And this speaks about an innate desire in all of mankind whereby there's a desire for us to ascend into the divine and to meet with God and to be in the realm of God. We want to see spiritual things. In fact, all the major religions of this world, their focus always is on how to attain to the realms of the divine. How can I become like a God? How can I attain to an, you know, some sense of an enlightenment and illumination of the things in the Spirit? But when it comes to Christianity and Judaism, I want to say this, that we are distinct in that the crux of our faith is not about us ascending to heaven to where God is, but it is about God's desire to, to descend and to come on the earth to be with us. Amen. You see, when God gave Moses a pattern to build a tabernacle, God's desire was not to build a place whereby the people could ascend to heaven, but God's desire was to build a place so that He could come down and dwell in the midst of the people. God wants to descend. And we need to stop thinking about how we can go up to heaven because if you're born again and you've given and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I give you this promise, you are going to ascend one day. 
when your race is done and you are finished with it, God will bring you up to where He is. But in the meantime, while we are here, our focus is not on ascending to heaven. Our focus is about bringing God to earth. Jesus is called the Emmanuel, God who is with us. God came down to dwell in our midst. The Word of God, Christ was made flesh and He dwelt amongst us. And the Bible says that we've all beheld of His glory. We have touched Him. We have supped with Him. And we know Jesus in the upper room. It was the Holy Spirit who came down, who was poured upon all flesh so that we would dream dreams and we would speak in new tongues and we would be empowered to bring the presence of God everywhere upon this earth. You see, this is a fundamental shift that we as Christians, we need to undergo. There is a conventional sense of spirituality that pervades the church where we still think that our aim as Christians is to ascend. No, 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 no. The agenda of the Father is not that we will build a temple so that we can ascend to heaven. The thing about here in Cornerstone, we are building temples in you so that God may descend and occupy His temples in you. Every one of us carrying the presence of God to wherever we are placed at. This is the agenda that we need to understand. The final thing I want to bring to us is the need to be scattered. I believe that as we consider this final point, it really causes us to understand why Babel and the upper room needs to be understood together. You see, the end result of Babel and the upper room is that there is a scattering. The people in the days of Babel were scattered because their unified language, the, the point of unity has been removed and all of a sudden, they couldn't understand one another and they began to scatter. The upper room, tongues were given and for a moment, there was confusion amongst those who heard the disciples and says, what, are, what is happening to these people? Are they drunk? What is all these different languages that we're hearing? In the Tower of Babel, their unity was fueled on an agenda that is not God's agenda and God came down and He forced a scattering of the people because the original intent of God for mankind is always to spread and occupy the whole earth. The first command that was given to mankind was to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. This is God's original intent for our species, for us as a creation. You see, the upper room's unity, on the other hand, gave the impetus for what God wanted to do as they were in one accord. The Spirit of God was poured out and the New Testament church was born. 3,000 swept into the kingdom of God. And then 5,000 added. And then day by day, disciples, you know, uh, believers were being added. And then finally, they went into a state of multiplication. And the church grew and grew and grew and grew. And yet the final statement is the church still failed to arrive. They failed to arrive at the ultimate agenda of God, which was to scatter them so that they would bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. You see, the agenda was still the same. The agenda at Babel and the agenda in the upper room is still the same. It is that there will be a scattering and that we will be fruitful, we'll multiply and we will fill the earth. And so the account in the, in the book of Acts tells us a great persecution arose in Jerusalem and scattered the church. The church was forced to scatter. The focal point of the book of Acts, once and for all, shifted away from Jerusalem, never returned there again. And it went with Paul, with Barnabas, with Luke, and it went all the way through to the rest of where the gospel was spreading abroad too. Amen. You see, this is where the parallel of Babel and the upper room is really important for us to understand. The fundamental fear that we have is that we have a fear of being scattered. We gather for strength, for comfort, for security, to make ourselves feel good. 
But God's intention is not that. God's intention has always been for us to scatter. Amen. God's desire is always for us to live a life of faith and a life of faith that's always more difficult to live by because when you embrace faith, you embrace risk. You embrace uncertainties. You embrace insecurities that come along with walking on water. It is much safer to stay in the boat. The view is better. But it's altogether something else to get out of the boat and to walk on water with the Lord. You see, the parallel for us in these two events now becomes very significant. You see, the upper room as an event, if you only see the upper room without looking at the Tower of Babel, no, then what we'll end up thinking is that the upper room is the defining moment. We think that the upper room is the event in and of itself. And what we'll do is we'll build an altar at the upper room. We'll venerate the place and we will say and we'll camp at the upper room and says, Lord, send us another Pentecost. And that becomes our cry. Let, I'm not saying that that shouldn't be our cry. There are people sitting in our midst here that that is the cry that we should have because something about the fire of God is missing in our lives and we need a fresh Pentecost. But when you tie Babel and upper room together, then you realize that the upper room is not the end, but it is a means. You understand that just as in the, in the Tower of Babel, there has to be a scattering. You understand the end product of the upper room is that God empowers us so that He can send us out. To see the upper room without Babel is to diminish our ability to understand what God intended the upper room to be. The place of blessing can easily become a place of curse. But I'm telling you this, the assurance we have in both incidents is that God is going to have His way. If we will not scatter, He will force us to scatter. If we will not embrace what is His plan for the church, then God will come and disrupt so that He will have His way with regards to, church, to the church. In both instances, it was God who initiated the scattering and the scattering furthered God's purpose and plans upon this earth. You know, I want to speak to us this morning on two things. And the first is that there are people sitting amongst here we need a fresh Pentecost. In my own life, I'm asking God for a fresh Pentecost. You see, I've been in full-time 22 years this year. And when I came into church, when I started full-time, the church was 400 people, 450 people. The auditorium was half the size. There were many, many uh, karaoke rooms that we used to use as offices. When I first joined the church full-time, every month our budget was in the red. Today, it's always in the black and we have huge surpluses. Today, the church is over four or 5,000 people, 20, 20 over nations that we're in, and we're all over the place. But I want to say this, 22 years later, I'm standing here and I'm saying to the Lord, I says, God, if this is all full-time is, I don't know if I made the right decision. Because there has to be something more than just numbers and budgets and big church and big congregation. God, there's a glory of God that we have not yet seen in the church. The revival that we've been contending for for our nation and for the nations, we have not tasted it yet. And if I give my life wholesale and all we see is church growth, then I think I've chosen the wrong path because this is not what satisfies. And that is why I come back to the Lord. I says, Lord, we need a fresh Pentecost. 
We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh outpouring where it is not method, it's not numbers, it's not all these strategies, but it is a pure sense of the outpouring of His presence where God will step down into our realm. And I want to encourage us because it's not enough just for one person or two person to sense that. It is not enough for us just to be in the place of our business and our work and to think that that is all that there is. That we need a fresh Pentecost. But the second thing I feel even stronger in my spirit is that there's a call for a scattering amongst us. Amen. I'm not asking y'all not to come to church and everybody scattered. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. What I am saying is this, that many of us, we are at a place in our lives where the income is regular, the house is paid for, everything is settled, it's comfortable, it's convenient. But I want the Holy Spirit to challenge us one more time to step out of our comfort zone. Maybe God has put something in your heart of a dream, of something that has spoken to you. It's time for you to dream again. It's time for you to imagine again what God can do through you. Some of us, God is just saying to us, would you just get uncomfortable? Maybe it's a career switch. Maybe it's something that God is calling you to do that you've always wanted to do, but you've settled and you've become comfortable and God wants to shake us out of our comfort. Amen. I want to close here and I want to invite us to stand. I want to pray for us. Amen. Our time is almost up. And I want to invite us to come before the Lord. You know, there is, there is a time for us to receive an empowerment for the Holy Spirit. But there is also a time for us to go and fulfill the tasks that He's given to us. I believe with all my heart there are people in this place that God has given you a task I believe there are people here that God will bring back to your remembrance of things that He's spoken to you that are impossible, that are so big, so big that somewhere in your life you have shelved it and says, no, I think this is too big, this is too difficult, this is too impossible. But I want to challenge you in the name of the Lord that you would allow the Holy Spirit today again to paint for you a picture of the impossible, to allow the Holy Spirit to you to speak and you to speak to you again about a task that you may have put aside because of the busyness of a season of your life or the challenges of a season of your life. But right now God is saying, don't let those things hold you back. Don't wait anymore. The conditions will never get better. The conditions will never get more ideal. If not now, then when? And God is challenging us to believe Him for more. But I believe this as well, that God wants to bring a fresh Pentecost in our midst. And the Pentecost is about Him coming down, dwelling in our midst. We owe this world a visible, convincing witness of the reality of the God that we serve. And we cannot do that on our own. We cannot do that with our own cleverness. 
We need the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the presence of God in our lives to walk into places and shift atmospheres, to set the captives free, to break the yoke of debt and sin. And I want to ask you as we stand here in this place, my brothers and my sisters, would you ask the Lord? Some of us, we need to ask the Lord for a fresh Pentecost. Some of us, we need to ask the Lord for an extended vision that will cause us to scatter and to step out in faith. Whatever it might be, I want to ask us just for one moment, would you ask the Lord? I really believe there are people where God is speaking to you about nations. Where God is painting such impossible dreams and you have shelved those dreams over the years. And God wants to reawaken those dreams. Come Holy Spirit, we ask you come. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, I am powerless to do the work that belongs to you and you alone. I ask you Holy Spirit, come. I ask you Holy Spirit, come. I ask you Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come, we're calling. Holy Spirit, come. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you, Lord. We need more of you, O oh Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're just going to sing that chorus one more time, devoted to you. And, um, and then we're going to bring this to a close. Okay? Just allow the Holy Spirit, as we sing this chorus, just allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your hearts. Amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.